0: This talk is brought to you by the Thomistic Institute. For more talks like this, visit us at ThomisticInstitute.org. What
1: I'd like for us to do is to begin with the account of the Annunciation from Luke chapter 1. So this is Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, and then we'll pray a Hail Mary. In the sixth month, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible for God. Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. I thought for us to begin, uh, we would begin with this passage from Luke's Gospel about the Annunciation, because with our topic of St. Thomas Aquinas and Our Lady, I especially want to focus on St. Thomas's way of understanding Our Lady at the Annunciation. So this is a pivotal moment for all human history, when the angel is sent from heaven to Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel then announces to her the gospel of the incarnation, that in her would be conceived the Son of God. And the angel waits upon her. The angel listens to her her questioning and reassures her, shows her something of the divine power. And then she's able to say those words, behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. In order for us to appreciate this, uh, we need to hear what the gospel says and then to have a particular view of it. The view that you're seeing right now is an image by the 15th century Dominican friar and uh, Renaissance artist Blessed Fra Angelico. Blessed Fra Angelico loved to depict the Annunciation. He did this many times. This particular Annunciation scene is within the D- Dominican Priory of San Marco. And you see how the angel Gabriel is coming to the Blessed Virgin and that she has been caught reading. So she's in prayer and reading. So you see the book and she has her finger in the book there. And you see how she's uh, on her predo, the kneeler there. And then this figure here is a Dominican friar. He's the first friar to be canonized after St. Dominic. His name is St. Peter of Verona, also known as St. Peter Martyr. You can see the blood coming off from his head. So if you ever see paintings of a Dominican friar with blood coming from his head, chances are that's St. Peter of Verona, known as St. Peter Martyr. So you see how in terms of this depiction of the Annunciation of the, angel Gabriel to the Virgin Mary, that you have someone who is being there a part of the scene. In some sense, by us following St. Thomas's theology, we too can be part of the scene. We too can participate in this first joyful mystery. Now, in terms of St. Thomas and his devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary, I want to communicate to you a touching story of his childhood, It's said in the early records that when Thomas Aquinas was a a baby, he was clutching a piece of paper in his hand and he wouldn't let go of this little piece of paper. His mother finally was able to pry open his hand and found on the piece of paper the words, Ave Maria Grazia Plena, in Latin, Hail Mary, full of grace. The early biographer, the Dominican friar, Bernard Gui comments, And surely it was appropriate that in this way providence should indicate in the boy what was to be so conspicuous in the man. A love of the doctrine of salvation, which it would be his vocation to teach. Notice then Bernard Gui's interpretation of it. So rather than just talking about, oh, how St. Thomas particularly loved Our Lady, what he shows is that this was something of divine providence at work and his love for the doctrine, for the teaching of salvation, okay? Because when we focus on this mystery of the Annunciation of the Blessed Virgin Mary, we focus on our salvation. And this is the salvation that God has done for us. So St. Thomas's greatest work is the unfinished Summa of Theology. And the Prima pars, or first part of the Summa, he treats the questions uh, early on about the divine essence. And in question 25, he asks the, in the article six, whether God can do better than what he does. Okay, you know, so can God do better than what he did? Centuries later, we see Voltaire. So that uh, 18th century enlightenment figure of France, uh, uh, you know, someone who uh, wrote a great deal and represents the enlightenment how Voltaire was ridiculing the philosopher Leibniz for what Leibniz called the best of all possible worlds. Voltaire did this in his Candide. Now, does Aquinas teach that this is the best of all possible worlds? No, he's explicit about that. He cites Ephesians 3 and verse 20, God is able to do all things more abundantly than we desire or understand. Aquinas distinguishes how goodness can be spoken of in different ways, but then states Absolutely speaking, however, God can make something else better than each thing made by him, okay? So just in terms of God's omnipotence, he can do things better than what he did. Um, but when we go to the reply to the fourth objection within the Article 6 of Question 25 of the Bema Pars, Thomas concedes that God has done the absolute best he could possibly do in three respects. So what did God do that was just absolutely best? One. The humanity of Christ, from the fact that it's united to the Godhead, can't make anything better than the humanity of Christ. Two, created happiness from the fact that it is the enjoyment, the fruition or enjoyment of God. Heaven, God couldn't make heaven any better for us. And the third, the blessed virgin from the fact that she's the mother of God, that she has then a certain infinite dignity from the infinite good, which is God. St. Thomas then concludes from this, and on this account, there cannot be anything better than these, just as there cannot be anything better than God. So for St. Thomas then, the Virgin Mary is the best, okay? She's the best. So within this lecture on Aquinas and Our Lady, I want to focus on St. Thomas's love of the Blessed Virgin Mary and his treatments of the Annunciation. So I mentioned to you how Blessed Frangelico, that great Renaissance artist and Dominican friar in the 15th century, painted many scenes of the Annunciation. We saw uh, just one with St. Peter Martyr peering in. Well, uh, St. Thomas treats the Annunciation uh, in the 13th century. So before Blessed Frangelico in different ways. And I want to focus on two of his texts. The first one is his question on the Annunciation in the third part of the Summa. So he begins the mysteries of the life of Christ with Our Lady, and question 30 in a particular way is focused on the Annunciation of the Blessed Virgin. And then the second part of this lecture, will consider St. Thomas's commentary on the the angelic salutation. Okay, so we begin with the first part of our two-part consideration this evening, the third uh, part of the Summa, question 30 on the Annunciation of the Blessed Virgin. First, it has four articles. I want us to consider just two of those articles. The first one is, on whether it was necessary that it be announced to the Blessed Virgin that which was to be done in her. Okay, so you can think about how Our Lady is the Mother of God. Does Our Lady need to have an Annunciation? Does she need to have some sort of message given to her? okay. Well, St. Thomas, for his con- con- said contra, the authority there, uh, quotes Luke 1, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. So the question of whether it was necessary that be announced to the Blessed Virgin that was to be done to her, yes. And St. Thomas gives four reasons. One, is a becoming order. The Virgin Mary would first be informed in her mind before her body conceives the son. Let's think about this. Okay, Um, you know, Our Lady had her mind open to the Word of God, and it was precisely through her mind that then God then came to her body, okay? You know, so um, she became pregnant with the eternal Son of God made flesh through her mind Okay, that's just really astounding. Two, she would become a more certain witness of this mystery. Okay, it wasn't that uh, this occurred in her sleep. No, she was fully awake. Recall again how Blessed Fra Angelico has Our Lady uh, putting her finger in her prayer book because she's been praying and studying. Well, she is alert to this, and she would become a more certain witness of this mystery. The third one is that Our Lady might offer to God the free gift of her obedience. After all, we read in the gospel, behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. God wants us to respond to him freely. And in different ways that we respond to him, one of the chief ways is obedience. Because after all, that's what Jesus did in Philippians chapter 2. Though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not deem equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he emptied himself and taking the form of a servant and being found in human appearance, he humbled himself and became obedient even until death, death on the cross. Okay, so that Jesus then uh, becomes obedient. Uh, You know, in the Agony in the Garden, we see Jesus obedient to the Father. Well, Our Lady anticipates something of her son's obedience, and that Our Lady then, by the power of God, is able to make to God a free gift of her obedience, and then the fourth one is astounding too. Fourth reason: a certain spiritual marriage between the Son of God and human nature. In marriage, what is what's the most important aspect of of a of the of the act of getting marrying, of getting married? Consent. Okay, to you know that I do, I do. That is uh, a matter of giving consent. What St. Thomas says is that the consent of the Virgin Mary was given in place of all human nature. Okay, so, you, so this is how astounding it is. That there's a sort of marriage that occurs between God and the human race. And that Our Lady says on behalf of us all, I do. I do. Okay, so, so the marriage between God and the human race, Mary is the bride who says on our behalf, and then how she can lead us in our own way of saying, I do, to God. Now, the first, so St. Thomas and Hisuma, uh, actually, when you read each article, he always begins with objections, what other people are saying. And uh, I did not begin this way because I've reordered it for this lecture, but I just want to focus on that first objection in question 30, article one of the Tertia Pars. The first objection is, it would seem that it was unnecessary to announce to the Blessed Virgin that which was to be done to her, for there seems to have been no need of the Annunciation except for the purpose of receiving the Virgin's consent. But her consent seems to have been unnecessary because the virginal conception was foretold by the prophecy of predestination, which is fulfilled without our our consent. As a gloss says on Matthew one twenty-two, there was no need, therefore, for this annunciation. That's not St. Thomas's opinion. That is an objector's opinion. And St. Thomas answers it very succinctly. And notice how uh, his answer applies for a lot more than just the event of the annunciation. The prophecy of predestination is fulfilled without the causality of our will, not without its consent. Right, So this is where, in terms of predestination, God's eternal plan for our salvation, and by the way, some Catholics are not used to that word predestination as Catholic teaching, but it's a very important Catholic teaching, that it's fulfilled not because we cause God to do this, but God in his great plan wants us to consent to his will. St. Augustine has this line, God who made you without you will not save you without you. And St. Thomas is repeating this kind of teaching from St. Augustine. I'll repeat, God who made you without you will not save you without you. We didn't ask to come into being. okay? We didn't. God, God made us without us, but he will not save us without us. And you, and then you can see the Annunciation precisely as announcing to the Blessed Virgin Mary and then having her give her consent, okay? Now, the uh, Article 4 is whether the Annunciation occurred in a becoming order. So whether the Annunciation occurred in a becoming order. For St. Thomas, he has these words like becoming or fitting um, or sort of necessity where it's beautiful. and he, he has a principle from from Aristotle's metaphysics that it belongs to the wise one to order. Okay, so if you are wise, you are ordering. For Aristotle, by the way, uh, he actually has in mind a master-slave relationship, and for Aristotle, it's uh, that the one who uh, has authority gives orders and is not ordered around. Well, for St. Thomas, what he's doing is he's taking this principle that wisdom allows an ordering, and then he shows how God is the great orderer in his pedagogy, in his teaching, okay? So God, who's so far above us, is the one who comes down to our level, and then who, in his teaching for us, does things sweetly, does things beautifully, uh, so that way we may be lifted up. You know, because God loves us wherever we are, and He loves us so much that He won't leave us there, and He wants to to take us up. Okay, so that He has a a beautiful order in what He does. Uh, so, now whether the Annunciation occurred in a becoming order, I answer that the Annunciation was made by the angel in a becoming order, for the angel had a threefold purpose in regard to the Virgin. First to draw her attention to the consideration of a matter of such moment. This he did by greeting her by a new and unwanted and unusual salutation. Wherefore, Origen says, commenting on Luke, that if she had known that similar words had been addressed to anyone else, she who had knowledge of the law would never have been astonished at the seeming strangeness of the salutation, salutation, in which salutation he began by asserting her worthiness of the conception by saying, full of grace, Then he announced the conception, the words, the Lord is with you, and then foretold the honor which would result to her therefrom by saying, blessed are you among women. Now, notice then in terms of that order, so the very first reason for the becomingness or the the beauty of this order um, is to draw her attention to the consideration of the gravity of this, okay? So this is where in terms of of speaking, a speaker needs the attention of the listeners, right? And so uh, uh, people will talk about how at the beginning of a talk, uh, uh, at the beginning of a lesson or something like that, the teacher needs to have or the lecturer needs to get people's attention because if the person doesn't have other's attention, then it's really not going anywhere. The angel Gabriel gets Our Lady's attention, Right? And, and how then she is fully wrapped into this. And notice how it's very interesting, St. Thomas Aquinas quotes Origen. Origen is a third century teacher. He's the, the greatest uh, teacher of the third century. It's just that uh, Origen was condemned, uh, particularly in the sixth century during the Emperor Justinian's time. Nobody else in the 13th century quotes Origen like St. Thomas Aquinas. Origen, by the way, is all the rage and patristic study, uh, especially since the middle of the 20th century with the Ressource or Mar- nouvelle Théologie. Um, St. Thomas cites Origen's name over a thousand times, okay? Sometimes he's uh, ranked among the, the greatest of, the, uh, of those who are teaching us the faith. Like here, it's, it's very positive in how Origen shows how Our Lady's not dumb. Our Lady knows the law, and then Our Lady is, is understanding something of the significance of what's happening, okay? Uh, and, and so St. Thomas is using Origen very uh, very beautifully there. Other times, because Origen was wrong, uh, Thomas also numbers him um, uh, his, some of his teachings among heresies, okay? So the first thing in terms of the becoming order of the Annunciation uh, is precisely in terms of getting Our Lady's attention for the gravity of this. The second is he purposed to instruct her about the mystery of the incarnation, which was to be fulfilled in her. So in terms of, of teaching this, uh, this virgin of Nazareth about the mystery of the incarnation. So this he did by foretelling the conception of birth, saying, behold, you will conceive in your womb. And by declaring the dignity of the child, conceived, saying, he will be great. And further, by making known the conception, when he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Okay, so just then in terms of that teaching, okay, that teaching. Uh, And then the third, he purposed to lead her mind to consent. This he did by the incense of Elizabeth and by the argument from divine omnipotence. So recall how the angel Gabriel says, and Elizabeth, your your kinswoman is also with child, she who was considered to be barren in, in her old age, and that for nothing will be impossible for God. So by the argument from divine omnipotence, okay? So, so then you have the beauty of how the angel Gabriel is the model teacher, the model preacher who gets uh, uh, his audience's attention, okay? Our lady's attention, who instructs his audience, so our lady, and who moves the audience, that is again, our lady, to consent, okay? And of course she does say, behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. After she has heard, uh, you know these things, and um, and and particularly pondered how God is Almighty. Okay, so if you went back to the to the Gospel of Saint Luke, when she goes to our, uh, her kinswoman Elizabeth, then she sings her Magnificat. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior. So Our Lady then is uh, the great model about uh, about showing forth how God is at work. And St. Thomas then understands that we can go back again and again to Our Lady at the Annunciation as this great moment of salvation for all human history. And then for our own lives to be able to consider, okay, that you know, when we pray, you know, Catholics so often pray the Hail Mary. What does it mean? What does it mean? St. Thomas helps us think about what those words mean. Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, from this, I want us to turn to St. Thomas's commentary on the angelic salutation. Uh, the, the prayer, Hail Mary. During St. Thomas's lifetime was simply, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you, blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. So later then was added uh, uh, that name, Jesus, and then Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. So that's later. Also, by the way, in terms of St. Thomas's Vulgate, so the Bible that he's using the words, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. That's something that the angel Gabriel says. Okay, so in our Bibles today, we find that only from St. Elizabeth's uh, words in the visitation, but in the Bibles of the 13th century, because of the manuscript traditions, that it's actually something placed upon the lips of the archangel Gabriel when he's speaking to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Okay, so this commentary on the angelic salutation is St. Thomas's commentary on the prayer that we know as the Hail Mary, but in that shortened uh, early version of it. In his work in this commentary on the angelic salutation, so no longer I'll we now working on the Summa, but in this brief work commentary on the angelic salutation, and you can find it on the web and I highly recommend it to you. It's, it's not too long and it's very, very beautiful. Uh, St. Thomas shows the fullness of grace and virtue in Our Lady and how that matters for us and the Lord's presence with her. Okay, so St. Thomas says, the Blessed Virgin was superior to any of the angels in the fullness of grace. And as an indication of this, the angel showed reverence to her by saying, full of grace. This is as if he said, I show you reverence because you excel me in the fullness of grace. All right. so St. Thomas has this understanding that the angels Are naturally much higher than human beings. Angels are pure spirits. They don't have body. They could assume a body like we assume clothes, just simply to put something on for an appearance. But an angel, strictly speaking, is just a pure intelligence created by God. Okay. And but um, but Our Lady, as the Mother of God, is the Queen of Angels. She's higher than all the angels of heaven. Saint Thomas quotes this line from the Song of Songs uh, about the bride, you are fair, you are beautiful, my beloved, and there is not a spot in you. So Our Lady is the spotless one, the spotless bride. And St. Thomas quotes St. Augustine's early work in the uh, Pelagian controversy. Uh, Pelagius wrote a work called On Nature, and St. Augustine wrote a work in response called On Nature and Grace. Okay, so St. Thomas quotes from St. Augustine if we could bring together all the saints and ask them if they were entirely without sin, all of them, with the exception of the Blessed Virgin, would say with one voice, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. First John 1. I accept, St. Augustine continues, however, this Holy Virgin, of whom, because of the honor of God, I wish to omit all mention of sin. Okay, Uh, so then. Saint Thomas continues for we know that to her was granted grace to overcome every kind of sin by him whom she merited to conceive and bring forth and he was certainly holy without sin. Saint Thomas continues that our lady exercised the works of all the virtues. So you think about how grace uh, is uh, is filling the soul and then that virtues are transformations of powers of the soul to have virtuous acts, okay? So there are lots of virtues. You can think about the theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity, uh, and it's uh, Catholic teaching that Our Lady, who was perfect from the first moment of her conception, that she actually grew in the virtues. So she became uh, in terms of faith, she became more believing in hope, she became more hopeful in terms of love, she became more loving. Okay, So people sometimes think that Our Lady is uh, you know has like a static, spiritual life of perfection. No, precisely because she was perfect from the beginning, she continued uh, you know, with, great, with great and awesome fervor and particularly in terms of love. Now what St. Thomas does is he selects certain virtues He says, okay, whereas the saints are conspicuous for the exercise of certain spiritual virtues, thus one excelled in humility, another in chastity, another mercy, to the extent that they are the special exemplars of these virtues. As for example, St. Nicholas is an exemplar of the virtue of mercy. Okay, so uh, St. Nicholas's shrine is in the south of Italy, Bari, and St. Thomas had a special devotion to St. Nicholas, and it is interesting that St. Thomas had a mystical experience on the last time that he celebrated St. Nicholas's day December 6th, 1273, because St. Thomas dies on March 7, 1274. So what St. Thomas does is he says, you know, various saints excel in various virtues. Uh, You know, you have like a a strong lead virtue. The Blessed Virgin, she's the exemplar of all the virtues. And her is the fullness of the virtue of humility. Behold, the handmaid of the Lord. And again, he has looked on the humility of his handmaid. So she's also the exemplar of the virtue of chastity, because I know not man. Uh, And so you see these quotations from uh, precisely that enunciation. And thus it is with all the virtues, as is evident. Mary was full of grace, not only in the performance of all good, but also in the avoidance of all evil. Okay, so that's like the the most basic ethical um, dictum is to do good and avoid evil. Do good and avoid evil. Well, she is full of grace in the performance of all good and the avoidance of all evil. Again, the Blessed Virgin was full of grace and the overflowing effect of this grace upon her flesh, her body. For while it is a great thing in the saints that the abundance of grace sanctified their souls, yet moreover, the soul of the Holy Virgin was so filled with grace that from her soul, grace poured into her flesh from which, she was, con- from which was conceived the Son of God. Hugh of St. Victor, so this 12th century Victorine uh, theologian says of this, because the, the love of the Holy Spirit so inflamed her soul, he worked a wonder in her flesh and that from it was born God made man. And therefore also the holy, the holy one which shall be born of you shall be called the son of God. So Luke chapter one again. St. Thomas continues, the plenitude of grace in Mary was such that its effects overflow upon all human beings. It's a great thing in a saint when he has grace to bring about the salvation of many, but it is exceedingly wonderful when grace is of such abundance as to be sufficient for the salvation of all in the world. And this is of christ and the blessed virgin and when he says that he doesn't mean to put the blessed virgin on the same level as christ but basically christ is the fullness of grace in terms of being the head of the church so any grace that occurs in other souls is precisely a share and christ was called capital grace so kaput head that the capital grace overflows and in a, in a tradition, sometimes the Blessed Virgin is compared to the neck, okay, so that she's not the head itself. So St. Thomas continues, thus a thousand bucklers, that is remedies against danger, dangers, hang therefrom. Likewise, in every work of virtue, one can have her as one's helper. Of her it was spoken, and me is all grace of the way and of the truth, and me is all hope of life and of virtue. So you can think about the Hail Holy Queen, Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy. Hail our life, our sweetness, and our hope. Therefore, Mary is full of grace, exceeding the angels in this fullness. And very fittingly is she called Mary, which means in herself enlightened. The Lord will fill your soul with brightness. And she will illumine others throughout the world, for which reason she's compared to the sun and to the moon. All right. Now, St. Thomas continues that the Lord is not with the angel in the same way as with the Blessed Virgin. For with her, he is as a son, and with the angel, he is the Lord. Okay, So the Lord is Lord of the the angel. Well, the Lord makes himself the son of Mary. And then you can also see the Lord, the Holy Spirit, is in her as in a temple. So that's uh, the temple of the Lord, the sanctuary of the Holy Spirit, which is the Benedictus Antiphon from the Little Office of the Blessed Virgin. She conceived by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit shall come upon you. The Blessed Virgin is closer to God than is an angel, because with her are the Lord, the Father, the Lord, the Son, and the Lord, the Holy Spirit, in a word, the Holy Trinity. Indeed, of her we sing, noble resting place of the whole Trinity. The Lord is with you, are the most praise-laden words that the angel could have uttered, and hence he so profoundly reverence the Blessed Virgin, because she is the mother of the Lord and Our Lady. Now, notice that phrase uh, in terms of the hymn, the singing of the liturgy, noble resting place of the whole Trinity. If you were to look at this image of Blessed Fra Angelico's depiction of the Annunciation, that line is actually right here. Okay, so it's it's too small uh, to show, but just I want you to see the connection. Blessed Fra Angelico is a 15th century Dominican friar who loves St. Thomas and his teaching. And he is showing an art, basically something of St. Thomas's theology. Now, if we continue with that commentary on the angelic citation and jump to Article 3, what St. Thomas does is he compares Eve's fruit and the fruit of Mary's womb. And he does so in three respects, being made like God, pleasure and beauty. Now, let's just stop for a moment. So in the Hail Mary, you go, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Now, uh, did you ever wonder why? Why fruit? Okay. Uh, You know, uh, when you first learned the Hail Mary, uh, did you think, oh, fruit? Huh? Okay. Well, so this is what is said in the gospel. And what St. Thomas does is he sees a connection between this fruit and the fruit that tempted Eve. Okay, so if you were to go to Genesis chapter 3, okay, so Genesis chapter 3, at the beginning, now the serpent was the most cunning of all the animals that the Lord God had made. The serpent asked the woman, did God really tell you not to eat from any of the trees in the garden? The woman answered the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. It is only about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden that God said, you shall not eat it or even touch it lest you die. But the servant said to the woman, you certainly will not die. No, God knows well that the moment you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like gods who know what is good and what is bad. Now listen to this. The woman saw that the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eyes, and desirable for gaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it, and she also gave some of it to her husband. What happened from that? Well, then you see that that is the original sin. So what we do, remember how this is the moment of salvation in terms of the Annunciation? Then to compare or contrast the fruit that tempted Eve and the new Eve's fruit. Okay. So in terms of just thinking about the fruit, St. Thomas, by the way, is continuing something that you find in the second century, St. Justin Martyr, in a particular way, has this devotion to Our Lady as the new Eve, and then after St. Justin Martyr, St. Irenaeus of Lyon develops this at great length. All right, now let's look at St. Thomas's words. The sinner often seeks for something which he does not find, but to the just man it is given to find what he seeks. Uh, Now, okay, so the sinner wants something, but doesn't get what he wants, So the proverb, the substance of the sinner is kept for the just. Thus Eve sought the fruit of the tree of good and evil, but she did not find in it that which she sought. Everything Eve desired, however, was given to the Blessed Virgin. So one, Eve saw that which the devil falsely promised her, namely that she and Adam would be as gods, knowing good and evil. You shall be, says this liar, as gods. But he lied because he's a liar and the father of lies, John chapter 8. Eve was not made like God after having eaten of the fruit, but rather she was unlike God, in that by her sin, she withdrew from God and was driven out of paradise. The blessed virgin, however, and all Christians found in the fruit of her womb him whereby we are all united to God are made like to him. 1 John 3, when he shall appear, we shall be like to him, because we shall see him as he is. Okay, so this is where in terms of deification, That Our Lady at the Annunciation shows how we are deified. What Eve wanted to be like God is what actually is achieved precisely in the Annunciation in her own life. And by the way, in the lives of all Christians that are called to be deified, to participate in this great enjoyment. Okay, number two, Eve looked for pleasure. And the fruit of the tree, because it was good to eat. But she did not find this pleasure in it. On the contrary, she at once discovered she was naked and was stricken with sorrow. And the fruit of the Blessed Virgin, we find sweetness and salvation. He who eats my flesh has eternal life. John chapter 6. Okay, so, so Eve wanted the pleasure of having something good to eat. But she didn't get the pleasure that she wanted. Okay, instead, you know, she found herself naked and stricken with sorrow. But the fruit of the Blessed Virgin is given to us, and this is the Eucharist. Why? Because the Eucharist is Jesus Himself, Son of God, Son of Mary, and that in Him is all sweetness. Okay, you gave them bread from heaven, having all sweetness within it. The third, uh, uh, reason here is that the fruit which Eve desired was beautiful to look upon. Okay. Remember how she found the, the, the fruit uh, something beautiful? But that fruit of the Blessed Virgin is far more beautiful for the angels desire to look upon him. You are beautiful above the, above the sons of men. Psalm 44. He is the splendor of the glory of the Father. Eve therefore looked in vain for that which she sought in the fruit of the tree just as the sinner is disappointed in his sins. St. Thomas continues, we must seek in the fruit of the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary, whatsoever we desire. This is he who is the fruit blessed by God, who has filled him with every grace, which in turn is poured out upon us who adore him. So St. Thomas then concludes this with a quotation from the great Ephesians canticle of Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with spiritual blessings in Christ. Okay, so this is where in terms of the beauty of Christ, that the beauty of Christ, Son of God, Son of Mary, radiates upon all those who are found to be in Christ because of the blessings of God. And, and then to see how it's precisely God's plan and at the Annunciation you know, with St. Thomas Aquinas we then, in a sense, just like how we saw the image of St. Peter Martyr peering in on the Annunciation with Fra Angelica's painting, we with St. Thomas peer in to the Annunciation to the Blessed Virgin Mary, and then can, can understand more of those words and the significance for our lives. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. you know, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. you know, Dante imagines heaven, with the angel Gabriel always saying this to Our Lady, and that first joy always being present to Our Lady, and how we too then can always have that, that joy, you know, because we are in the valley of tears. There are all sorts of pains and sufferings, um, but uh, whatever is occurring in our lives, that we can recall how God loves us, and that Our Lady said yes on our behalf, and she is praying for us so that we too can say, Yes, that we too can say, I do. So we're going to have time now for questions and answers discussion, but I want to leave you with this thought. Recall how baby Thomas Aquinas, and by the way, I imagine he was a little chubby baby. Baby Tom, Thomas Aquinas had his little hand uh, with some sort of paper and then was able to, uh, and then his mother was able to find out what that paper was. Ave Maria Grazia Plena. He didn't want to let go of that. He didn't want to let go of that. And in our meditation on the words of the Hail Mary, in awe that she is full of grace, we also don't want to let go.
0: I mean, just going off your final concluding thought about you know, that phrase, Hail Mary, full of grace, um, something that else that's in St. Thomas's commentary on the Blessed Virgin Mary, where, where he's commenting on what it means for her to be full of grace, You know he lists all sorts of um, ways in which Mary was holy and thus she exceeded the angels. But in terms of, I guess, the more cosmic hierarchy, he makes you know the distinction that that yes she exceeds the angels, but the only thing she doesn't exceed is Christ. And the way in which that distinction is made is that he says she was conceived but not born in original sin. So how do we contextualize his rather late seemingly, seeming refusal of our contemporary doctrine of the Immaculate Conception.
1: You can see this uh, more systematically in question 27 of the Tertia Pars. So we focused on question 30 uh, of the Tertia Pars for the Annunciation, but the very first question of the mysteries of the life of Christ or the things our Lord suffered and did is on the sanctification of the Blessed Virgin. So for St. Thomas, in order for you to understand Christ's life, what do you have to do? You have to go back to the Blessed Virgin and you want to go back to the very beginning of her life. St. Thomas gives two reasons why he thinks that Our Lady was not, um, that uh, that Our Lady doesn't have, sorry. St. Thomas gives two reasons why he doesn't want to say that Our Lady was immaculately conceived. One is a matter of biology. So he, ha- he follows Aristotle concerning what is called ensoulment, and that ensoulment occurs after, at some point after uh, uh, the conception. So he knows that some people uh, uh, celebrate the conception, but he says, well, you need a rational soul to be full of grace. And he doesn't understand how, he doesn't know when that soul would occur. So he doesn't want, and, and he thinks it's afterwards. That's one, and the other is that he doesn't want to uh, have any sort of uh, derogation of the uniqueness of Christ's salvation, okay? So those two things. Now, uh, Pope Pius IX in 1854 issued the dogma of the Immaculate Conception in Enaphabilis Deus. Uh, St. Thomas dies in 1274, and, uh, and so blessed Duns Scotus, who was beatified by St. John Paul II, continued an English tradition, and you can think of William Ware, uh, who uh, had this idea uh, that uh, uh, that God was able to make Our Lady Immaculate from the beginning, from the moment of the conception. So he was able, it was fitting, and so he did it. Okay, That he was able, it was fitting, and he did it. And then uh, there were various controversies between Dominicans and Franciscans about this. Uh, and uh, and this is one where, frankly, the Dominicans lost. Okay, I'm a Dominican friar. We lost, and we praise God because this is what God has done. Okay, Saint Thomas did not have the benefit of Pope Pius the Ninth's uh, dogma. Uh, we do, and we see, and we just see that uh, that Saint Thomas was mistaken. Okay, Saint Bernard of Clairvaux, who's also one of the greatest saints for Marian teaching, and he lived in the first half of the 12th century. He was mistaken too. And, uh, and I think in some ways his mistake was even worse, but that's another topic. Okay, so, yeah, but you're absolutely right then how St. Thomas shows our lady is above all, but she's below Christ because after all, uh, this is the hypostatic union of the eternal son of God made flesh.
0: So going back to the beginning where you emphasized how um, like Christ was first conceived in the mind before the blessed Virgin's body, I, I was wondering if if there was any um, clear historical precedent for that, either in the Fathers. Um, the only one that comes to my mind personally is the post-communion for the Feast of the Annunciation, which we normally use as as the end of the Angelus. Uh,
1: St. Augustine has something about this where he has this attentiveness to Our Lady's mind, or also you could say the heart. So that St. Saint- Augustine wants to show that that the privilege of Our Lady is something that is more interior, something more of her spiritual response to God than just simply the physicality of her motherhood. Okay, so that in order for her to be the mother of God, that she is first mother of God in her mind. And then notice how we're not called to be bearers of God in terms of our body. But we all call, But we are called to be bearers of God in our mind or in our heart, and how Our Lady then is uh, is more blessed, as Saint Augustine would say, by her response in her mind than in her body. Okay, so for Saint Thomas and and say the Dominican tradition. Okay, there are four Marian dogmas that have been proclaimed. The the four traditional Marian dogmas are uh, the. Immaculate conception, the uh, dogma of the mother of God, of the perpetual virginity, and the assumption, okay, these four, and of the four, the highest is actually mother of God, because all the others are ordered based upon this, but we should understand how mother of God is first something of of our lady's higher soul before, before the physicality of her womb. Okay, so that's and that and what St. Thomas is doing is he's continuing something that's especially found uh, in St. Augustine. I have a question. So you talked about how a lady grew in virtue over her life, even though she started out perfect. So could you explain a little more about how that could happen? Yes. Okay. So this is where, in terms of uh, virtue, virtue comes from a Latin word that means power, and so a power then is expressed. So let's just think first off in terms of if you have the virtue of charity, well, you know what you're going to do. You're going to do acts of love, okay? So in different ways, and by the way, the 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 um, the acts of love begin in the in your heart because if you're sick in bed and you say I can't go out and help somebody, you know, actually you can make acts of love in your heart, okay? So so but notice how because you have the stable disposition, and by the way, charity in the full sense is the theological virtue of God infusing into us something of his own love. So Romans 5.5, the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit given to us. But then we can express this in Acts. And by the way, then, because of God's power and how we then are to be cooperating with God that we can grow in love, so like for an increase of love. And so we ask for God to do this in us and that we then uh, can have certain acts that show forth and that we are then become more and more practiced, okay? So you can take about say, a, a pianist uh, who has the virtue of being able to play the piano. And the more, you pr- the, more the pianist plays the piano, the, the, in a sense, the, the greater the virtue for at least for for some pianists, the greater the virtue is there. Okay, so so that you then uh, get even better and better and better in different ways. Well, Our Lady um, is showing us how to be human. Okay, so Our Lady, uh, who was perfect from the first moment of her conception, um, is growing in the virtuous life, so that she uh, she doesn't have sin to block her, and that she then. Uh, is able to go from glory to glory. So St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians uh, about going from glory to glory and how Our Lady then, uh, you, you can think about how the Annunciation, which was such an important time in her life, how she, she is able to make um, particular acts of faith, hope, and charity now that she is the mother of God, which she couldn't before. Or think about her at the foot of the cross. You know, and notice then, you know, that. she's not static you know she is growing and that our lord prepared his mother during that public ministry uh, uh precisely that she could be that strong witness at the foot of the cross and that she could be given to us as our mother and that we could be received by her as her children okay you know behold your son behold your mother okay and so our lady is 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 accepting it And by her accepting it, she actually grows in the virtuous life and that we then can see something of this uh, in in the gospel. My question is, could I maybe be considered as a type of tree of life? Oh, tree of life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, So I hadn't thought about it, um, uh, but but in terms of that she uh, is the tree that gives us the fruit that is Jesus yeah. and Jesus says I am the resurrection and the life so our lady is like the tree of life offering that fruit which is life which is Jesus because Jesus is the resurrection and the life yeah so it's really beautiful to think of her and then and then you can c- continue that contrast with eve and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and how our lady as in a sense the tree of life is offering us her fruit, which is life itself.
0: I was wondering if you could address what seems to be a paradox between Aquinas's exaltation of Mary, honoring of Mary, and how little he seems to regard women as it comes to um, them as a helper and whatnot. Um, just it seems like there's there's quite a a difference between the way he talks about Mary and the way he talks about women. Question ninety two, I think, is uh, one of the big ones when he talks about um, a woman as helper and not necessarily being an ideal helper. If you were to look at it from um, a very mechanical viewpoint.
1: Yes, um, so I think there, in a particular way, he's continuing Saint Augustine. Uh, I think maybe the literal meaning of Genesis, where Augustine looks at our lead, sorry, looks at uh, Eve as helper. Okay, so first off, uh, you know, some, just to help some other people with this, the word helper can be a very exalted term. So, like in the Psalm, the Lord is my helper. Okay, so the Lord actually wants us to call him helper. For some people today, helper just it sounds demeaning, but it's the title that we give God that God wants us to say of Him. So what Saint Augustine is doing and Saint Thomas is repeating is um, uh, is that Saint Augustine uh, thinks that in some ways, you know, why not have uh, another man? Okay, why? How particularly is a woman uh, suited for a helper, and then? And then the emphasis there is precisely in terms of the human race and the reciprocity between male and female precisely for, um, uh, for procreation, okay? Uh, so this is where it's unfortunate because uh, in different ways, women have had a systemic discrim- discrimination. Uh, and one thing I, I highly recommend is St. John Paul II's Okay, so on the dignity of the woman, and and that needs to be better known that the church uh, in recent years has shown that, yes, um, this is something that has happened uh, across the board in different ways. And so what you're doing in terms of thinking about St. Thomas uh, is uh, a problem that's not just about St. Thomas, it's really a systemic problem. And then what is it, uh, because we have systemic problems today too, that are not necessarily the same ones uh, in history, uh, but there's still problems and they're still system-wide. And and then how um, you can also say that maybe with uh, Our Lady, because St. Thomas always has a view that Our Lady is precisely woman, that that there's no creature higher than Our Lady uh, uh, next to Our Lady's son. Okay, so this is where, in terms of that that great dignity of Mary as as woman, and that she's above all the angels, uh, above every you know, you know she's above every pope, you know, <laughs> just uh, and then to think about what that means uh, for us, uh, that that's really significant, yeah. So I, I would uh, say to to look at Thomas within that wider context, particularly in terms of Augustine, but frankly, there's something that is broader and deeper. And I think Saint John Paul identifies it pretty well, uh, or at least uh, it, you know, that that it, it was very good that he articulated it in Mulieris Dignitatem.